Well, good morning, church. Boy, we're blessed to be able, even while we're apart, we're so blessed with technology to be able to gather our hearts and minds around God's Word and study it together. This is the last, part 11, Lessons for a Quarantine Church. Well, there might be one more, but we're getting very close to the end. The surest way to waste great godly influence. That's the kind of extended title that I gave to this teaching. The surest way to waste great godly influence. And the text is Psalm 107, verse 2. It reads, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. I have, I have one goal in this morning's teaching. One goal. Let me say it right up front. It's, it's to lift your heart in thankful praise to the Lord in the middle of whatever circumstances you find yourself. So, 107 verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. If I had it in my power, I would say away, away forever with this practice of listing the things we're thankful for on Thanksgiving. And before you judge me, yes, it's certainly great to be a thankful person. There's no denying the value, the appropriateness of a thankful heart for all of us. But that's not what this verse is all about. Because even more important than what we are thankful for is who we are thankful to. Nobody talks about that in secular thanksgiving. There's another important lesson in our text that's easily missed. This verse, please notice, this verse is not about the heart, having a thankful heart. It's not about the heart at all. This is a verse about the voice. Specifically, this is a verse about giving voice to the inward thankfulness of the heart. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And he's talking about the words that come tumbling from our lips. There is a vast difference between being thankful and giving thanks. And giving thanks is what David is pressing home in this psalm. In fact, the idea is so important as you read this psalm through, he presses the same thought over and over again about expressing thanksgiving. It's in verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his loving kindness is everlasting. It's in verse 8. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. It's in verse 15. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness. It's in verse 22. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works. It's in 31 and 32. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness 
and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him. Now, of course, the amazing thing, really, is that such instruction should ever have to be given at all. Look at what the Lord had done for these people. They were lost and they had been given safety. That's in verse 4. They were hungry and thirsty and they had been nourished by the Lord. That's in verses 5 and 6. They were bound and in prison and the Lord had set them free. That's in verses 10 to 16. They were, here's a picture, they were hopelessly drowning at sea and the Lord rescued them. That's in verses 23 to 32. So, so all of these All of these expressions are meant to serve as pictures of deliverance and rescue. Some of the psalmist's listeners knew certain aspects of this deliverance more literally, perhaps, than others. They were descendants of those who had been rescued out of Egypt, led through the wilderness, fed miraculously by God's almighty hand. Now they were, they were again on the verge of being delivered from Babylonian captivity in the same supernatural way by God's grace. And so the psalmist, he reminds these people who they are. Think about that. These worshipers, they were living on the post-deliverance side of life. They, they are the redeemed, the text says. They're the redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, verse 2. They are reminded they are redeemed because over and over again, in a host of circumstances, in situations from which they could never have freed themselves, they, they called out to the Lord, and the Lord rescued them. In view of all this, this, this call to praise, it's an imperative. When you trace the logic all the way through, it means, it means that their silence is somehow sinful. We're not talking here about a worship style. We're not talking here about, you know, a charismatic experience. And that's why each of the four deliverance stanzas of this psalm, it ends with the same call to praise. We, we are the worshipers who have been redeemed. We are the lost who have been found. We are the hungry who have been fed. We are the captives who have been liberated. We were those drowning in hopelessness, and now our feet have been set upon a rock. That's us, the writer says. Is it even possible? Is it even possible for people who have experienced this to forget it? Apparently it is. Oh, how we we need this reminder. This is not a matter of some kind of Pentecostal preference. This is a spiritual survival issue. If, if, If we only see ourselves as the uninformed who need to come to be taught at church to learn, well, we'll be silent in terms of praise. If we, if, if we forget that we are the redeemed, 
If we no longer see ourselves as naked, poor, and blind, but for the strong hand of the Lord, our Christian life is going to become a dry business indeed. Real quick, let's focus on a few thoughts from our text. 107 verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. It begs a question. I mean, as long as I know I have been redeemed, I'm not denying it. As long as I know I have been redeemed, why do I have to say so? What is so important here? Why isn't it, why isn't it just enough to understand that I've been redeemed in my own heart? I can be grateful inwardly, can't I? Why, do, why does this thankfulness, why must it be expressed? Here are the reasons. One, praise strengthens and enriches each experience of grace in my own heart. Praise is like oxygen to your inner spiritual life. Silent discipleship will always be weak, cold discipleship. Experiences of grace cool when they are silenced. That's just the way it is. Love for God that never gets expressed in praise will always have a short shelf life. Here's why. Your own convictions about the goodness and faithfulness of the Lord will be fanned to burning life and strengthened as they get expressed in praise. So let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Express it. You are giving your own doubts the upper hand if your mouth isn't filled with thankful praise to the Lord. Praise is to your own doubts what penicillin is to an infection. Discouragement and praise, they never remain roommates for all that long. One other thing, it's a, it's a very popular misconception that the defeat of doubt involves just your intellect. So if someone comes and gives you the reasons, someone comes and answers your questions, that by itself will solve the issue of doubt in your heart. And I'm not denying, I'm not denying at all that doubt includes the intellect. I don't think any Christian gains anything by being empty-headed. We need to have a reason for the hope that is in us. But it's, it's still true that your heart, your heart can be accurately informed and still cold and silent in praise. So, so the, problem, the problem with doubt is frequently an issue not just of information, but of praise and expression. The Apostle Paul, he expands on this in a beautiful way. Read these words from Ephesians chapter 5, 18 to 20. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord, 
always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. Do you see it? Thankful worship and praise, saying so, in the language of the psalmist. Paul says it, it puts melody in the heart, verse 19. That's what saying so does. It, it, it takes dryness and coldness and replaces them with music. So, so the Spirit uses my outer praise to warm the inner life with joy and melody. So that's the first reason we're just so passionately exhorted by the psalmist. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Do this. Praise strengthens and enriches the experience of grace in my own heart. That's the first reason. There's another. Point number two. I love this. The sincere, thankful testimony of an honest person has great influence on those who are also in need of hope and help. I guess now it all starts to get a little more obvious. We can see the good wisdom of God through the psalmist, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You need to say so because the people around me can't read my thoughts. They need to hear my words. So that's why the voicing of praise and testimony, the psalmist says, is to take place in the midst of the congregation. It's in this same psalm, verse 32. Let them extol him also in the congregation of the people. Why? Why in the congregation of the people? It's not just a matter of volume. We get excited when we all praise real loud. That's not it. There is incredible power in the shared story of the Lord's work on behalf of the redeemed. So, so Paul says the, the church is to be charged with this kind of life. It should just brim with the sharing of hope, the sharing of faith, the sharing of courage. Oh man, there's enough. there are enough skeptics and cynics and grumblers. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Their positive voice, it needs to be lifted up. You're like me. I'm speaking right now and there's not a soul in here except a couple of technical people. And I think... I think about our past Sunday morning altar times. I think of our Sunday night prayer groups, especially our Sunday night prayer groups when I'd walk up and down the aisles and you have that beautiful, beautiful, just that low hum of voices being lifted and people praying one for another. People come to church. They come shyly. Sometimes they come with problems and burdens. And, and, and I'll tell you something very important about each one of them as we come together. People rarely come with their problem. They rarely come with pure, unmixed, confident faith. Almost none of us does. They come with fear. They come with some doubts. They aren't bad Christians. They're just human. Some are tired. Some have carried their burden so long they can't even imagine living life without it anymore. That's how they come. They're usually a mixture like that man in the New Testament, belief and help my unbelief. Now, now, here's how it should work. 
You're in a group. We do it every Sunday night. We used to do it. You're in a prayer group with those people. And suddenly as prayer goes up to the Lord, as people call upon the Lord, like the psalmist described, you, you, you're in that group and you tie in with their story. Because you had the same request, maybe months ago, maybe years ago. You were at the same place. You were going through the same situation. Here's what you should do. Immediately when that person's praying is finished, you, you should speak up. You should say so. You should lovingly tell that person, I know God can do this for you. I know he's more than able. You see, I've been right where you are tonight. And I wasn't any more worthy than you. But I called out to the Lord and he heard my cry. There were times I had to continue to wait. Sometimes it took time. But he lifted me out of the same pit you're in. He's redeemed my life at the very point you're facing right now. Don't despair. Don't ever give up. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Your assurance can seize upon a doubter's timidity. Your words can turn on a light of hope in a fear-filled heart. The testimony of the redeemed is life-giving. Don't waste great influence, the title of this teaching. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. God wants to hook up your faith to someone in need. It's like a blood transfusion. He wants you to be a faith donor. There are no substitutes for this kind of life. Can't be manufactured. Let me close this with another application of a great passage of scripture. Psalm 78, 4 to 7. Speaking about the works of the Lord and the psalmist says, we will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel, which commanded to our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God. Silent, redeemed people rob the next generation of its greatest blessing. Years ago, a few years back, my wife, Rini, used this text as kind of a header, and she just wrote out a list of some of the blessings of God on our home and gave it to our two daughters because they had no idea of some of the wonderful acts of kindness that the Lord had bestowed on our family. I can remember when she wrote out and told them how the Lord provided us with a beautiful car for one dollar when we just had no money to buy one. She wrote out and told them how the Lord protected her when someone broke into our house. Very first night in Newmarket, we moved here from Saskatoon. I was speaking at a men's retreat. She was all alone with two little girls in a house she had never been in before. Woke up in the middle of the night, saw a stranger in the doorway to her bedroom. Heard later on how God had woken up Grandma Horbin across town 
and just said, pray for Rini and the girls. And she did. And how this guy just turned and walked out of the house. Not a hair on anybody's head was harmed. That's the idea. The Lord has manifested his strong arm many times for all of us who are listening to this teaching right now. We've been crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies. But, but that the point of this psalm is just receiving those mercies is nowhere near enough. Just receiving mercies does not complete God's plan for extending those mercies. The redeemed of the Lord must say so. It's a command. It's not a recommendation. Others need the heat of your fire to warm their hearts. Perhaps you've had tough times lately. Remember, you measure the blessing and care of the Lord on your life, not just by the problems you avoid. Who could actually count those? But by problems he brought you through sustained you through. He removes some. He sustains some. But it's all of his grace and it's all to be shared. Here's the last point, number three. It's easy to miss this. Remember, the testimony of the layperson has far more power than that of the preacher. That's because... The verbal witness of the clergy is expected. The words I say are partly discounted by those with even the slightest kind of doubt or suspicion of the Christian faith. And the testimony of the superstar, that's less and less credible. I don't need to hear of one more sports figure or Hollywood actor who knows Jesus and has come to Christ. They're in the hands of managers and image makers. They're the stuff of big religious business. There's no doubt about it. The honest testimony of the average saint, that's the one that comes with the most strength. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Your testimony is the most important of all because you have no perceived agenda other than magnifying the Lord who has blessed your life. That's why God has always used average converted people. The ones the psalmist calls the redeemed. Those are the people God uses to change the world. Church, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Find a way to do it until we're back together. Do not hoard the goodness of the Lord in your own heart. Grace multiplies as it's expressed. Don't hesitate. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Do it right away. Do it every day. And God's name will be lifted up in his church. Let's pray. What a great psalm. What a great verse. Forgive us for thinking it's enough to hold certain high thoughts of you in our hearts. It misses your intent by a mile. The thoughts and meditation of our hearts should be on the Lord. 
But that just is a time of incubation for praise to come out of our lips. That strengthens grace in our own heart. That encourages believers in their trial. And that increases witness to the skeptic. All these things accomplished when we obey your word and say so for all the grace you've poured into our lives. And so wherever we are, however long this lasts, whatever we face, lift our hearts in praise to glorify our great God and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.